as we're singing that, this is what my sermon's about, but I was really struck by that line. It feels so, uh, maybe dishonest is the word I'm looking for. Like, no conditions? And so there's this, uh, there's this funniness that, that said, Christians like to think that we don't lie unless we're singing worship songs. Have you ever heard that one? Ah, there's the lights. I was waiting for those. I was looking around like, am I out of the light? Am I not? Am I, you know, this is how it feels. Blinding. Uh, yes, I can't see you, but what's important is that you see me. Uh, you know, I, I don't want you to feel like a liar when you sing things like that. Because maybe when we sing those things in our heart, we would look at those and we would be saying, this is, this is where I'm trying to be, God, and this is where I'm trying to. And in our worship, we're allowing our hearts to try to move to the place we want to get. And so even if you have to, in your heart, sing, here is all my heart, yours with no conditions, at least that's where I want it to be. And, and you know, if you need to add those, we want to worship in spirit and in truth, right? And so it just struck me as we're singing, and I want that to be true of me. I'd like that to be true, and I work at that being true, but boy, it's tough. So if you uh, are new to Brookside, again, let me extend my welcome as well. And, and as we always say, and I really mean this, wherever you come at today, uh, maybe, maybe you're filled with faith and, and you've been a Christian a long time and you're very excited to see what God can be doing. Maybe you've been a Christian a long time and you're very unexcited to see what God, maybe, maybe you're trying this stuff out. Maybe a friend dragged you and, you know, the party is like, oh, please don't let this be horrible. I'll try not to be horrible. Uh, Wherever you come at today, wherever God has placed you, wherever you get, like, I always say God's love is such that he'll meet us wherever we are. He does. He meets you wherever you are. And, and of course, his love is such that he'll always long to move us toward him. But wherever you are today, we just want to be, we want you to know you are so welcome to be here right where you are. We don't have this sort of Christian club mentality that feels uncomfortable if you are not in the place because we're working on our place too, right? All right. That being said, we're in uh, a three-part series on the, uh, the opening section of Luke. So, all right, the opening opening section was the Christmas story. And then as Luke jumped in, what he did uh, is he spent, he spent uh, the time that Jesus was up in Nazareth, the upper part of Israel. So there's sort of three parts. Some of the other Gospels, Jesus goes back and forth. But the way Luke did it, so to, to make it easy to understand for the reader, is he tells uh, a bunch of narrative of Jesus up in, in Galilee, up by the Sea of Galilee. And then there's this dramatic line in chapter 9. Jesus turned his face toward Jerusalem. I love that one. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how to make that the name of the next sermon series, but that's, that's far off. And this one... We're looking at Jesus in Galilee, and, and Luke is looking to introduce you to Jesus as though you may not have met him, and so the, uh, the apt title for this series is, Who is This Man? And, and Amy got us started off last week, and what Amy did was she began to paint the picture that Luke gives of Jesus, and one of the first things that she showed off is Jesus' power, right? That Jesus is doing miracles, and, he, and he's saying and doing the kind of things that bring other people to him which makes them excited and makes them want to gather around. And as Amy pointed out, they had seen the miracles he'd done. And they're like, ooh, 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 do it again. And, and if you were here for the last, oh, she was so good last week. It was really great. And then what she did is as Jesus read the Isaiah 61 scroll, he began to describe his authority. His, his sort of his ability to say, I am what I, I intend to be, and you're not going to tell me what, and I actually have the authority to decide what that is. And of course, if you remember last week, they decided they wanted to throw him over a cliff about that. They were not excited about it. And in today's sermon, we're going to move it forward a little. We're going to look at Jesus' wisdom, these, these three parts, okay? And, you know, the Zelda fans are like, is this like the Triforce? No, if you're not a Zelda fan, it's not the Triforce. We're okay. Um, I got a little tiny laugh 
The Zelda fans are happy. The rest of us, it's okay. It's all right. I want to look at these three for just a moment so that when we read Gospels, because we are oh so crafty when we read about Jesus and we experience Jesus, it's trying to shove him in the box we want, in, into the place we like him. And honestly, if I remove any one of these three, you'll start to feel how he becomes not Jesus-y. So we'll begin. Check this out. So what if I pull out Jesus' wisdom? where I have just this sort of power and authority, and I've labeled this the pagan gods because that's what they were. If you think about the way people thought of Zeus or, 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 or Baal or any of them, you'd think of God, the gods as, as powerful and having the authority to tell us what to do, but you didn't think of them as good or as wise or as having the right kind of life. And so you went to the philosophers to ask that question and then the gods to just try to keep nature off your back from like having, you know, earthquakes and hurricanes destroy you. Well, what if I put back wisdom, but I'm going to take out power this time, okay? So what if I've got a Jesus who says really wise things, and, and we like to quote him and say, well, you know, Jesus said this, or Jesus never said that, or whatever. But what we end up doing, and I call this one uh, modern Jesus. The way uh, our world tends to see Jesus is, uh, you know, recently, um, I don't know, who had, uh, who had said or done something. But Lady Gaga on the stage says, I'm a Christian and that's not my Jesus. And, and, and of course, the way she was appropriating Jesus, and I don't mean to use that word in a bad way because I don't know her faith and I'll let her be at that. I'm not her judge. She has this way of approaching Jesus that our culture does where we like him when he says the things that we want him to say. But we don't tend to think of him as the resurrected Jesus who came up out of the grave, who actually did miracles, who brought about the power of God into the world. And modern Jesus gives us nice sayings, but not the power to change. But I got one more here. What if I take out authority, put power back, and put authority back in? So the next one, I'm going to call this churchianity Jesus. I did not come up with the word churchianity, but I think it's such a, a splendid word. Splendid, oh yes. And the, the reason I think this is a great word is because Christianity ought rightly to describe the practice of following the Christ, Jesus, you know, I call us Christians often on the stage. But what about churchianity is more this idea that I look like what I think the church would have me look like. And I have this ability to separate myself from Jesus. Jesus remains the Savior. He's got power. And, and he teaches us some things, but he doesn't, you know, we say the word Lord, but we don't mean it. This was me going into college, actually. I, I remember this very well because I, I was, you know, Christian very, very much, you know, and I, I believed in Jesus. And if you'd asked me how a person gets to heaven, I would have told you Jesus died for our sins and that's our only hope to get into heaven, that kind of an answer. And, and yet, he was not Lord of my life. And I remember a friend, because we use that word Lord when we pray. I remember a friend looking at me and saying, when you, when you pray, you use that word Lord. I don't think it means, no, he didn't say it that way. Uh, I don't think it means what you think it means. He's like, I don't think you mean anything when you say it. And I didn't. So if we are going to allow Luke's Jesus to speak to us, we need the power, the miracle worker, the Savior. We need him to have authority over our life. We actually have to think of him as King and Lord. And then today we're going to visit this picture of wisdom. We're going to look at one of Jesus' arch teachings. It's called the Sermon on the Plain. See, the Sermon on the Mount happened because Matthew wrote that Jesus went up onto uh, a higher place and spoke at people. It's like, oh, it must be a Sermon on a Mount. I like to think of it as a pitcher's mound, to be honest, because it's cooler. But, uh, and then all of us in the seats and Jesus on the pitcher's mound. No, that's not how you see it. Okay, but this one, because it says he went to a flat place, Sermon on the Plain. It's exciting. It's in Luke. And if you have a Bible, if you're that type, you can go. It's in Luke 6. Um, but before we do that, I want you 
to have a picture in your head. Have any of you guys ever seen street preachers? Uh, those on campus, maybe the campus preachers. Um, and I, I'm not here to say how much we don't like them or whatever. It's not the point. I don't, I don't mean to judge people. But I often disagree with them theologically uh, and methodologically even more. But have you ever seen them? They'll have these big signs sometimes that'll say, repent, you know, like, or like a sandwich board. Or maybe when you hear the word repent, do you think of maybe like... Um, like some, uh, some crazy-looking person with a sandwich board walking around the city going, the end is near. When you hear the word repent, think about what comes to your mind for a second. If, if this is a small group, I'd actually have you guys discuss it. When I hear it, I instinctively think of somebody who is judging my life and telling me where I have to change, right? Change your behavior. And it feels... Awkward, except for this. You see, in, in, uh, as Jesus begins to this, I gra grab this one from Matthew because Matthew just says it this way. Jesus went out saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus was the crazy guy with the sandwich board with the repent sign. Okay, and, uh, and we hear it and, and I hear it and I, and I kind of go, whoa, hey, well, but Jesus has the right to say it. But what about this word repent? So if you will allow me, I would like you to be a Greek nerd with me for a moment. So the, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. It was not originally written in English. And, uh, and in the original Greek, you ever hear Christians say that? In the original Greek. But this word, repent, is the word metanoia. I gave it in Greek letters too, so you could see the, the little loopy thing. That's an M. The V is actually an N. You know, who knew? Uh, metanoia, okay? And metanoia is two words jammed together, so you get meta, you know, like a meta-narrative or, or uh, that kind of thing. And, and it means over or beyond or sometimes after, depending on the context. So, so you have this idea of after, and, and then noia is your mind or your thinking. Here's the word in Greek, after thinking, <laughs> okay? So, or maybe something like get beyond how you've been thinking. Actually, the way, it, uh, the way it came to be this in English, actually, is because of the Vulgate in Latin. So when the Greek came into Latin, there was this controversy. Did they want to use the word penance, which penance is change your actions, and Tertullian and some others were like, no way. It's about changing your thinking, which will change your actions. And the answer was, you can't change your thinking without changing your actions, so it ends up being about your actions. But the response, which I thought was really valid, was you can change your actions without changing your thinking, but it'll do damage. Okay. You can change your exterior shell without changing your interior. As a matter of fact, Jesus taught that way a lot. Uh, they didn't listen. And so partially because when you have one word in the Greek, you often want to try to grab one word in your own language. And Latin, just the same as English, didn't have. Notice for repent, I've got a whole phrase. Get beyond how you've been thinking. Or as Dallas Willard likes to say, think about the way you think about thinking. Okay, anyway, uh, repent. Change your mind. Change your mind. So what we're going to do today is we're going to take Jesus' thoughts that he says to you with authority and power, and he looks and says, I want to challenge you to think about how you've been thinking. And with that, we're going to jump into the text. Ready? Here we go. It says in Luke chapter 6, verse 17, and he came down with them and stood on a level place. So maybe not the pitcher's mound. Think maybe we're up to a second base where it's, where it's flat. And, and with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all over Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, 
south, north, everyone's kind of coming. Um, and, and he came, uh, came to hear him and, and to be healed of their diseases. There's that power, right? Okay. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured and all the crowd sought to touch him. So similar to what Amy said last week, people wanted miracle worker Jesus to do his thing and, 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 he's, and he's healing and for power came out from him and he healed them all. And then he says this. And he lifted up, I'll go ahead to the next slide there. Uh, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. And blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And blessed are you when people hate you and when, and when they exclude you and revile you and, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. <laughs> leap for joy, yeah. That's what I like to do when people revile me. And, and for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers uh, did to the prophets. And then he says this, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. And woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. And woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. How's that? for a sermon intro. I like try to be lighthearted, make you laugh a little bit. Um, Jesus just says, you rich people, which not, I mean, you know, we might be sort of, some of us might be poor by American standards, but generally speaking, poor in history has meant struggling to figure out how to meet food and shelter. <laughs> That's not really indicative of many of us in this room, which means that as we sit as a crowd, and, and, and what we're going to have to listen to is this, woe to you who are rich. Well, that's us. I, I don't just have two cars. I have a teen who drives, and so I have a, I have a third car. Whew. Whoa. And we hear these things, and we struggle, right? What do you do with a Jesus? No, this isn't like in Matthew where he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, which you might hear something like, blessed are the spiritually impoverished or something like this. No, he just actually literally said, blessed are those who are poor. And woe to you who are rich. And if we're not careful, what we'll do is we'll pull this out of its context. And the context is a whole sermon, okay? And uh, if you ever in, in, in English class, did you ever do the, the exercise where you had to write a one-page essay and you had to write a paragraph, which is an introductory paragraph, which said what your thing was about, and then three supporting points and then a conclusion? You guys ever had to do that, that with essay, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? For those of us who went to high school in the 80s or 70s, <laughs> that's right, okay, uh, try to remember. Try to think hard, line, rule, blue lines, red line down this side, okay. Introduction, three points, conclusion. This is how, I mean, this is like the greatest sermon technique or whatever. This is not the whole sermon. It's the introduction. And it's gonna have three supporting points and a conclusion. And to help you understand the introduction, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna cheat. I'm gonna take you down to the conclusion now. And I want you to see what he does with it. And then we're gonna import those thoughts back and see if we can't make some sense of what Jesus just said. So with that, if you want to shoot your eyes down the page, or what will really happen is the slide will change. Okay, everyone, he says to me, this is the conclusion to this message. So you have to imagine he's done his three points supporting his, his uh, introductory thesis. And he says, everyone who comes to me and hear my words does them. I'll show you what that person's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose and the stream broke against the house, it could not shake it because it had been well built. 
But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built his house on a ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of the house is great. True story, years ago, uh, Michael and Teresa Brown used to live over in the, uh, over in the blocks back in there on Buttonwood. And they had a house that had what it looked like had been originally a back porch that somebody had built into sort of a two-story structure. And when you kind of came in the back door, there's like a little restroom here, and then you kind of came into the house. And then up above it, I mean, maybe just like five by 10, not very big, was a little bedroom. Logan, was your little bedroom there? Do you even remember it, man? I don't know if you remember. Okay. And, uh, and it leaned. You figured that's why it was a porch, because when you went inside, it always just sort of felt like you were walking uphill into the house. And it was kind of discomforting, but it was whatever. And I say discomforting because remember there was a restroom there? It feels weird when it feels like you're being thrown off. Okay, but anyway, Michael and Teresa, you know, had the house inspected, and then they sold it, and whoever bought the house had it inspected, and then that year, maybe that winter, maybe the following winter, it was one of those freeze and thaw winters. You ever, you know, like this one, where you get a deep freeze and then a thaw, and, and, it's, and it's rough on things on the ground because the ground keeps... <laughs> well, it turns out, whoever had built this addition was lazy. And instead of putting a foundation under it, they had put three two-by-sixes, literally two-by-sixes on the ground like skis, and built this five-by-ten two-story structure attached to the house. And in this winter, it finally gave up the ghost, and it fell off the house. Can you imagine that? You bought a house, and then the second year, the, the addition falls off? Fell off. Okay. And Jesus says to you, whatever you're building your life on, if you build it on the things he teaches... You're going to have a foundation, and when things come, they're going to hit you, and you're not. But if you don't, you're going to be like Michael and Teresa's old house. You're going to fall apart. Now, maybe you're falling apart. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you feel like every time life hits, you're done. And if it's another wave hits, you're going to fall over, and you're looking at it. Maybe you're feeling like a little like we feel in those days, like, really? Maybe I didn't spiff up my spirituality enough. Did I not pray right, you know, the way he loves us? Maybe I didn't, maybe I wasn't faith-filled enough and I gotta just, I gotta like drum up some more faith and we start to think, did I religiously do it wrong? But he wants to tell us about his teaching. So now take this idea that whatever you build your life on, whatever you are depending on for well-being, it's going to be called into question by life. Now let's go back to the woes and the blesseds here. So blessed are you who are poor. Let's pick up this one. Blessed are you who are poor. Well, think about it for a moment. Those of us who are rich, and by rich, I mean living in a world where we just don't worry if all the grocery stores in town shut down. Between the deep freeze and the fridge, I'd be a while in the cupboards. Now granted, the meals would get weirder and weirder pretty quick. We'd be eating for a while. The poor have struggled to know where the next meal's gonna come from. And sometimes there isn't one. And the winds hit this week, they hit hard. I got like one little piece of siding that got a little loose. I'm a little annoyed by that, okay? I have a warm house, I'm rich. The Lord has given so well and so carefully to us. And so when I look at those blessed who are poor and woe to you who are rich, one of the things that we can be inclined to think is, my money's going to save me. My affluence has got me covered. I can, when I think about, because, you know, you think this for your, whether you know you're thinking or not, you do this. You think, how can I feel good about me? How can I feel good about life? Well, if the bank account works well and, and other people think well of me, and I, then I'm covered, I've got it good. 
And Jesus says, woe to those people because they've depended on that. And when they've depended on that, they've allowed themselves to build a foundation on something that can't hold them up. You might have noticed this. No matter how much money you have, it doesn't make you as happy as it promised, does it? And no matter how good people think about you and how many nice things they say, if you place your weight on that for well-being, anxiety always follows like, I gotta keep up the appearance, I gotta keep it going, I gotta, and, and Jesus actually says, the poor people, they have a better shot at finding the real deal because they're not gonna be able to depend on money. They're not gonna be able to, those who have been reviled are not gonna be able to depend on a good reputation for their well-being. They're gonna have to go look for the real foundation. That's why he says, blessed are the poor and, and woe to you are rich, because the poor actually, according to Jesus, have a better shot at figuring it out. However, it's not the poorness that makes them blessed. Neither does the rich make you unblessed. Rather, what you're building your foundation on does. So let's, with that, well, this is our five, our paper. So we got our intro paragraph, which was think about where you've placed your faith. Think about where you are leaning on for well-being. Where do you go to when it's time to ask the question, how can I feel good? How can I feel good about me? How can I feel good about life? With that, he begins his first point. Ready? You want to know how to make your life work. You want to know how to really do it. He says this. But I say to you who hear, and I want to stop for a moment. The but suggests that he's riffing off of his introduction. And to those of you who hear, which means that the woes were causing you to not hear. The things that you're depending on, your good reputation, your popularity, your money, or whatever, your good looks, I don't care what it is. If those are causing you to become deaf to the real thing, then it's not going to work well. So what this really is about is who's able to hear the real life. And he begins to tell it. You ready? Here it is. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. I'm a counselor. I sit with those amongst us who have been abused. I sit and listen to their ripped and tattered hearts and, and looking for well-being, and I see the despair in their eyes. I know what abuse is about. And not just because I've sat with the abused, but when I was in counseling school and, and I was in my internship, I worked with the abusers for a year. I sat, I worked with uh, Ed Volmer up in Maumee as we worked with the, uh, the men who had been arrested for domestic abuse. And I've seen the mind and the heart and the eye of the abuser. That was some weird counseling, by the way. And for Jesus to look and say, you want the best possible life, pray for them. Check out this, like... Do good to those who hate you, but notice there's even gives a little bit of a, of a, with the abusers, he doesn't pray for them. But I promise the person whose heart is able to do that is the one who's free. Now, he's not specifically saying, so what I want you to do is outwardly jam some righteousness on and pretend this, but he's actually trying to teach you the kind of heart that is unassailable, the kind of heart that does not matter what comes, it can't be tipped over because when I can love my enemies, I'm free from the eye service. I'm free from that fear that if I don't do it just right, then they won't love me and I won't get the applause. He's setting you free. Those, to the one who strikes you on the cheek and, and, and offer the other one also, and from the one who takes away your cloak, don't withhold your tunic either. It's gonna leave you in your underwear. Give everyone who begs from you uh, give to everyone who begs for, from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. 
uh, years ago when we were with crew, even when I was a student, we would go uh, to Indianapolis for the, for the Christmas conference every year, and it was really fun. Uh, when I was a student, and then when I was new staff, and then by about my 15th Christmas conference, I was getting a little over it. But being in downtown Indy, we would pass the beggars. And uh, I came into college with sort of my conservative, I'm not giving to those people, they're just going to spend it on whiskey and drugs, kind of a mentality. And, uh, and somewhere right before I went to a Christmas conference the second time, I had just been reading Jesus saying this, and he struck in my mind that I was going to be walking past beggars. And I began to carry in my pockets small, small leaf cash, because as a college student, I didn't have a ton to give, but I wanted to be able to give to everybody that I could without worry of how they were going to spend it or without judging how they were going to handle it. It was irrelevant to me. I just wanted to bless people. And it changed my Christmas conference instead of this sort of like, no, because what I was really saying is these people are just not human like I am. And by giving to them, it changed my heart. I, I, I was thankful that Jesus taught it at me right before the conference because I probably wouldn't have changed it. But I found how much I liked to actually shake their hand and look them in the eye and say, God bless you or something. You know, I have my Christian kid thing. You know, Jesus loves you. Maybe not so much a gospel tract, but I probably thought of it. <laughs> I wanted to bless. And the more God taught me to bless, the more, this isn't like I became awesome. This isn't I think well of me. It's nothing like that. It was the more I liked people. And the more I liked people, the happier I was. And the more I was happy, the more I wanted to bring happiness to people. I just found I liked my life better. This isn't some who's a righteousness contest. It's I'm trying to tell you that Jesus is saying, you want to be splendidly happy. You want to be spectacularly joyful? Give to a beggar who may spend it on whiskey. I don't know why whiskey. That's a weird one. But uh, give to him. Take him out to... Take him out to lunch. See, remember when we went to take the guy? The guy comes up to us. We're kids, you know. He's like, hey, you guys got any money? And I'm like, well, I think at that point I was out. And I was like, I just have my credit card. I'm like, I'm kind of out. I just have my credit We could go get like some McDonald's or something. And guess what? He's like, I kind of like Hooters. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if we were fiance or dating or whatever we were at the time. We were kind of like, ah, maybe McDonald's, you know. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah. It just made us like life. I'm not that great a guy, I promise. But I can tell you the more I practice Jesus' teachings, I just like my life. He goes on and says this. If you love those who love you, or if you only love those who love you, what, what does that do for you? It's transactional. Once you place an if on love in your heart, all you're really saying is, well, I think you've given me enough love that I think I should probably return. And once you become transactional in your love, love loses all of its well-being in your heart. It doesn't work great. It doesn't benefit you. It's like the people out there who you look at their lives and think, well, that's not the goodness of life I'm looking for. Sinners, right? Missers. That's what they do. You think you're better than them, but you're acting just like them, and you're getting the same results as them. Maybe with more of a religious veneer on it, but it doesn't change your life. No, you want to, if you do good to those who are good to you, what benefits that to you? Even the sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credits that to you? Even the sinners lend the sinners to get back the same amount. But I say to you, love your enemies and do good. And lend, expecting nothing in return. We'll go ahead to the next slide there so they can read that with us. But, and your reward will be great. 
Now, I used to read this something like, if I go love my enemies, it's going to be kind of awful. But when I get to heaven, God's going to be like, here is your reward, you know, like there's like money bags in heaven. For the Christians who've been around for a while, there used to be a song where a guy goes to heaven and he walks past like these mansions and there's this like shack. And then the chorus was, that's all the lumber, that's all the lumber you sent, you know, as though what we're doing is we're like doing good things here and then God's going to build a mansion for us out of it. That's not what Jesus is saying. And the reason I know that is because the conclusion talks about a life that fails. If it's only going to happen in heaven, then it doesn't make sense because in heaven you're not going to have to worry about waves crushing the foundation of your house. No, he's talking about here. He's talking about what are you looking for in your life? If you want money, serve money, see if it works. If you want well-being, serve well-being, but promise you, if you look for it in the wrong places, it won't work. And you want the reward of well-being that you're seeking, love the unlovable. Do it. It'll be a blast. It'll be a blast. So point one. So here's the intro. Jesus said, think about where you've been thinking about, right? And then he says this. First thing you want to know, you've got to think about how you love people. If you've been loving transactionally, all the good and well-being of love is gone from you. Well, then he goes on and he says this. Judge not and you will not be judged. Boy, people love to quote this in our, in our culture. Because we're looking at things and we're trying to like make judgment calls about what's right and wrong. And it feels a little weird like if we take this to the, uh, to the absurd conclusion, you know, like, well, who are you to say I'm not allowed to murder all the people in the street? Uh, well, because it's, it's wrong, you know. Now, well, you're just judging. Judge not, right? No, we, we know we should be able to make judgment calls about what is right and what is wrong. And we should be able to look at that. So that can't be what Jesus means in this context. He means something far better. He means that heart disposition you have when you decided to talk to him about it in the first place. Really? Why do we judge? Why do we do it? Why do we look and others and start to, you know, like do an inventory of their behavior to see where they stack up. If you start to look into our hearts, why we do it, what we're looking at, what we're trying to get, I think you'll know pretty quick. You're looking to feel superior. Well, at least that's why I do it. If I can, if I can find something about them that, that lowers them, that somehow means that I can feel good about me for a second. At least that's what my, my warped mind wants to think when I'm not allowing it to be transformed into Jesus' way of thinking. And so the more I practice looking, and those people have that sin, I'm better. Those people have, I'm better than them. And it rots your heart. It doesn't work. And by the way, another reason we judge people is because we think it'll change them. Think about the way it works in your family, maybe your spouse or your mom or your dad. Anybody who is hurting you, we instinctively uh, begin to think, if I can just change them, then they'll stop hurting me and then I can be okay. So we look at them and we'll say things like, you always do that. You know, we're taught not to say always and never, but in our moments of anger, we blurt this out. You always do this thing. And then, and then the person, so if, when someone says you always do this thing or they say that, what does it make you want to do? <laughs> nah, right? Or maybe you want to put up a shield. You want to put up your defense. So now you got your shield up. And we're like, I don't like having this shield up because it means our relationship's not working right. You know what I'm going to have to do? I'm going to have to change them. So 
person hurts you, you put up your shield, you attack them with a you always, and then they're on the other side going, oh, they got their shield, and now I've got two people with their shields up and their swords out, and they're poking at each other with their you statements going, you always do this, and we're judging, and we think it's going to work. It's, it's a joke, because what actually happens is we just do it until we're both weary and tired, and then we go separate for a while, until we get weary and tired of that, and then we awkwardly just try to make our way back. You've been having that pattern in your house? You've been having that pattern in your relationships? When you get hurt, shield up, sword out. What if you stopped trying to change them? What if you accepted them right where they are, even as they're hurting you? Judge not, you will not be judged. Condemn not. Judging is when I say your actions are out of line, knock it off. Condemnation is where your actions are wrong and I, I'm just rejecting you completely. So it's judgment plus rejection. You'll not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And then he told him this parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? <laughs> As you're seeking to make a good relationship, because the person has attacked you. They've hurt you, right? Can a person who's attacking make peace? Can a person who's attempting to make peace by making war ever actually bring well-being? So we were both blind. When we, when we try to do this, you know, and if you could be imported into, into our house and, you know, the last time Sandy and I had a fight, you'd probably see two people who were blindly going, you know. Well, they might both not fall into a pit. And then he says this, a disciple, a disciple is somebody who's looked at somebody who has a life they want and goes, I'm going to follow that person because I want to become like them. We've talked about this a lot, you know. Uh, my favorite is Bruce Lee because I'd, I'd kind of like to be a black belt. I'm not. I don't even have a good punch, you know. But I'd kind of like to be. And so imagine if I decided I wanted to be like that and I trained and I trained. In other words, I found somebody and then I'm practicing to be like them, right? That's what a disciple is. A disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone, when he's fully trained, will be like his teacher. Now, Jesus is the teacher here. And he's saying to these people who've gathered around him, you want to be disciples? You want to be copiers of me? Well, consider Jesus for a moment. How does Jesus behave toward you? Not just when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, because that is the Christian picture, right? In other words, while we were in rebellion, while we were anti-Jesus, when all of humanity was that way, he did not look at us and go, oh, I can't stand those people. When will they change so I can like them? He dies for us. But all the more, how about in your Christian life? How about those of us who profess to follow and profess to be disciples, and we're working on it, and I say we and not you, because this is a us thing. As we try to make our relationships right. And when someone hurts us and Jesus says, well, I do as I die for him and I move right toward him. And we're like, Jesus, you don't, you don't understand how much they hurt me, Jesus. I mean, this one really betrayed me and it looks like, oh, like a disciple who sold me for 30 pieces of silver and got me killed? That kind of betrayal? I might know what that's like. No, 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 Jesus, you don't understand. This person lied about me. She's like, oh, you know, like at my trial when all those people lied about me and made up false accusations? I don't know, I, I know what it's like. <laughs> when we try to tell him that he doesn't know what he's talking about because he says a student can't be above their teacher he's like you want the good life you want the life that I have to offer you you're going to have to act like I do you've got to do it like I do it 
He says, why are you doing this thing where you see that speck that's in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take that speck out of your own eye when you yourself do not see the log that's in your own eye? You hypocrite. This is the operational word. The word hypocrite does not mean person who preaches one thing and does another, although that's an implication. It just literally means actor. It's and in, in actually, in the Greek, it was just actor. It's one of those things that came into English and we left the Greek word Hippocrates, you know. And, but we should have just translated it. You actors! Actors! You're acting like you're the one who has well-being and so you can fix people, but we have this problem and when you put on the act, it never fixes anything. You actors, first take the log out of your own eye. First, make peace in the relationship. It's terrifying because you know that situation where you've got your shield up, you've got your sword, and they've got theirs up. Do you know what's the most terrifying feeling? Is dropping your shield. Oh, it's the worst. And openly and vulnerably saying something like, hey, this feels like this to me. I'm hurting right now. Because the feeling is if I do that and I, and I make myself vulnerable and allow you to hit right where I am, you're going to get that sword and go, they're open and you're going to drive it in. And maybe that's happened to you. You've said, hey, this is how it feels. And the other person looks and goes, so? Ooh, shield up, sword out, right? But if you keep your shield up and believe you can solve your problems with that sword beating on them while you're just beating on their shield, you're never going to find the well-being you're looking for. So if the first thing, when we think about how we've built our life, was think about how you love others, the second one is think about how you grow others. People grow in vulnerability. People grow when they're loved and cared about. People grow not when you tell them what they're doing wrong and tell them to get their act together. People literally grow when you show them that you're struggling with the act too. When you say, I see how you've treated me, it really hurts, and I know that I sometimes do that, and we're struggling, can we, and we start to talk about us like we're in this together, that's what vulnerability does, and that's how people grow. But our pride says, no, put on the act like I'm perfect, and then I can tell them to be perfect. Logs and specs, it's the worst. Well, one more thought about how to find the really good life here. He finishes uh, his, his points by saying this, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is actually known by its fruit. This is not really uh, heavy stuff here. For fig trees are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. Well, you can get some good blackberries from bramble bush, but maybe not in the promised land. So, sorry, just the point. We had blackberry bushes, thorns everywhere. I'd come out with blood on me, but we had a bucket full of blackberries. But back to Jesus' point. I digress. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes are not picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces the good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure of his heart produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. This point cannot be emphasized enough because in my religious tradition and in the Latin translation of repent and all of these things, we were taught just fake it till you make it. Put it on the outside. Act like a good Christian. Here's the list of outcomes. You're supposed to be kind and you're supposed to give and you're not supposed to lie and you're not supposed to steal and you're supposed to just act like it. But the act is killing us. And in my, in my experience, and again, I'm in my mid-40s now, and my parents became Christians when I was like two years old, or I don't know, actually, my mom when she was pregnant with me, my dad later. My whole life has been spent around the Christians. 
I've seen the game. I know how it's played. I've seen the game where everyone comes to church on Sunday morning trying to look like their Sunday best and, and, and singing the songs loudly and we got a church where you raise your hands like this and you got to get two hands up to really look holy or whatever but their lives were falling apart. Their homes were a mess. See, at first I just got to see the, the Sunday best and I thought that's just how people were and then the further I went in my life and saw what their lives were like and the drugs that were here and the, the affairs that were over there and all of it was hidden under the surface on Sunday when we pretended. That's what comes when we believe that we can just act like the outside without changing the heart. I've seen this fake game so many times. One of the uh, heartbreaks of my life was when uh, one of the school shooters... Um, his parents both were in my church. His parents were my age. He was a, a kid. I knew his parents. I knew their lives. When I worked with crew, his grandparents supported us. How did such violent evil come from such a thing? Because you see, out of the abundance of the heart, everyone knew how to put on the act. But the act was not sufficient to build a life. And they fell apart. They fell apart. It broke. And Jesus says to you, if you want the good life, it is not enough to just love your enemies. You actually have to be love to them, not just put it on. You cannot make an outside that looks like one thing while your inside's another. It's not how it works. And so if, if the first point was think about how you love others and then think about how we grow others, this most important point of all, you see how Jesus is ascending. This is so good. Think about how you grow you. How are you changing your soul? How are you causing your soul to become the sort that pours out love? Your soul to become the sort that cares about the broken? Your soul to become the part that instead of judging people, loves them, looks to bring well-being, looks to bring the love of the kingdom to them? This is the challenge today. So when we get to the close where he says the, the foundation narrative, which we read earlier, which is you can go there, everyone who comes to me and he tells the story, he's talking about your life. You see, the Jesus who has the power to die on the cross and rise again to save you, the Jesus who has the authority to be called Lord of your life, who we would call king and look to make his kingdom, he looks and says, if we're going to make a kingdom, it needs to look like him. We can't be disciples who think that the teacher did it wrong, all of that cross and dying for other people thing, and thinks that we can use a different set of methods because it can't work. We must be like our teacher. Think about where you're placing your hope for the good life. Place good thought today in your mind. What are you doing to produce well-being? Not just in you, but others. How is the kingdom? If we are going to be a church that continually says we want to be disciples of Jesus who are making disciples, what is your picture of Jesus that you're helping others look like? The challenge today is, does Jesus know what he's talking about? Does he have the power to make good on it? And do you give him the authority to be Lord of your life? Ben, if you guys want to come up. I spent a lot of my life looking, you can bring up that triangle last time here, looking to have a Jesus who I could escape one of these three. Usually I like to keep the power one in place. I'm a Christian, I'm a believer. But either 
the wisdom where I'm like, I give him authority, but I don't want his wisdom because I want to do what I want to do. Or I trust his teaching, but then I begin to lean off and say, yes, but mm. Jesus wants to be the king lord of your life. He wants your allegiance. He wants you to become like him because he knows it's the best possible life he can give you. This is his love that he would teach you how to suffer crosses and rise again. This is his love, that he would teach you how to have well-being in any situation, when waves come, when challenges come, when rejection comes, when, when job losses come, and when bank accounts drain, and when, when people are hurting you, and when life is falling, it does not matter that you would be the sort who is not shaken. This is the love he wants to give to you. And if you're missing it and your life is shaking, I want to ask, is perhaps one of those three parts of the picture missing? Thanks. Well, Christy pointed it out. I just talked about a love that if you're probably 100% honest, you know you can't, we can't. What are we going to be able to do to do that? How do we become such a thing? They only give me a little over a half hour for these sermons, and so I had to cut that part out. How do you change? How do you become the sort who can life groups, and, and, and not that they do that, but those are the places to ask these questions or come and make an appointment with us at the office. We'd love to talk about, we want you to ask that question. And my hope was coming out of today that you'd be bugged. How do I forgive when my heart won't let me? And how do I love when it's in pain? How do I become the sort who can? Because you just said that's the best kind of life, and it is. Jesus wants to change you into that sort. He wants to give you the power to do so. And we would love to be showing you how you can be practicing to become just sort of person. Thanks for coming today. Junior hires, uh, middle schoolers, sorry, they're going to let out in about 10 minutes or so. Um, so if you've got middle schoolers, feel free to stick around. If you don't have middle schoolers, we'd like you to feel obligated to stick around and hang out with us. Too much? Too much? A little too guilty? Okay. <laughs> feel welcome. We love you. God bless. Have a great week. See you next time.